It's a real joy and privilege for me to be here again. It's been two months since I've been in this room, and I love what you've done with the place. I can see your faces. It's bright out there. It's not too bright in my face, and I love that you've converted what was formerly a stage into a chancel, because as we know, this is not a performance. This is a opportunity for us all to worship God together. And um, I'm just excited. Uh, Pastor Aaron asked me to uh, fill in this Sunday months ago. We had this on the, on the calendar, and this week when Pastor Aaron got sick, it was a definite confirmation of God's providence and a perfect sermon illustration for wise planning in light of God's providence, okay? So that's just already out there for you to consider. I've been um, in a series of sermons through the book of Proverbs, uh, ancient wisdom for a modern time, just looking through the book of Proverbs and, and really understanding how uh, the theme of the book and of wisdom fits for us today and how we live that out. And Proverbs 16 will be our, our launching point today for a biblical, a biblical consideration of wise planning and providence. Now, we've heard in the book of Proverbs, I'm, I'm sure as you're familiar, the call go out of wisdom. Wisdom calls aloud in the streets. And wisdom call, the call of wisdom goes out to the fool. And the fool is defined as one who in his, in his heart says, there is no God or says no God. But for those that God effectually and savingly calls to himself, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of the wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And that repeats itself again and again and again in the book of Proverbs. But that starting point happens when we acknowledge God as the judge of all and that in his judgment we fall short of his perfect standard. That we are sinners and we justly deserve his wrath and curse in this life and in the life to come, like we read in our short catechism, Affirmation of Faith. So when God convinces us that we are sinners and we deserve God's wrath and curse, but then opens our eyes to the fact that the judgment and punishment that was due for our sin was actually poured out on his Messiah, on Christ, and that the propitiation has been made and we have been forgiven our sins, that changes our fear of the Lord from a, a, a dread of his judgment to a fear of the Lord that is overflowing with praise and gratitude for the grace that we've been shown, that he's forgiven us. So the fear of the Lord that is the awe and wonder of the salvation that he's given us is now the starting point for us to grow in wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Once that fear of the Lord is transformed by salvation into this awe and wonder, that's what starts to feed our growth in wisdom. And growing in wisdom is what God wants for every believer. He doesn't want to save us and just let us sit and not grow. He wants us to grow in wisdom. And so I pray that we would grow in the fear of the Lord and grow in wisdom. And this morning, as we consider wise planning and providence from Proverbs 16. Follow along in your Bible as I read verses 1 through 9 and verse 33 of Proverbs 16. This is God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. 
The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness is iniquity atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. This morning as we come to sit at your feet, we acknowledge that your word would not make sense to us except that you have given us your spirit to live in us and to illumine that word that's before us, that you would shed light on the word that sits before us so that we would come to not only an understanding of what it says, but its implications and application for our lives. And not only knowing what to do about it, you have given us your spirit to empower us to live in accord with your word, to line our lives up with your word. We need strength. We need uh, encouragement. Uh, Lord, we need to depend on you for the very strength that we have to live for you. I pray this morning, as we think particularly of wise planning, Lord, that our uh, hearts would be drawn to understanding you in the midst of our plans instead of uh, what we're commonly guilty of is simply going about life without acknowledging you. This morning, as we come to your word, we acknowledge you. We pray that you would direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. I think throughout our lives, we can all acknowledge we face a lot of significant choices that we have to make in our lives. Choices that will guide our path through life in major, major ways. Uh, the plans we make for these major life decisions have a huge impact. And some of you are probably on the before side of a lot of those decisions. Some of you are on the after side of many of those decisions. Others of you are like in the mix of they're coming at you fast and furious, many decisions that will really majorly affect your life. Some of the common decisions we face at different eras of our lives, I just kind of mapped it out the other day. And I think in our teens, we plan, when am I going to get my driver's license? When am I going to get a car? Uh, what will I do after high school? Will I go for more education? Is, is college right for me? Am I going to get a job? Will I join the military? Uh, when do I move out of the house and where do I move? Where do I live? Do I, do I rent a place? Can I buy a place? Do I want to live in the city? Do I want to live in the suburbs? Do I want to live out in the country somewhere? What church will I commit to and, and serve in? Big decisions in the 20s and 30s involve when and if we should get married and who should it be? When will we start a family? How many children will we have? How will we educate them and train them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do I get life insurance, disability insurance, 
how do I invest and save for the future and, and how much? In your 30s and 40s, you're deciding the plans for your children to play sports at school or in club. Do they do dance? Do they drama? do drama? Do they play an instrument or two or three? Do they plug into church or sports or school activities or some perfect balance of all of those put together? In your 50s and your 60s, we're planning, we're usually making plans about caring for our aging parents. Do we move to live near them? Do we ask them to move to live near us? How can we uh, help take care of them maybe from a distance? And are they able to live on their own or will they need to at some point move into some tier of assisted living? If so, where? Will I retire or do something uh, different as a career or volunteer? And then finally, our, in the 70s and, and beyond that, we're thinking about how long we might have on earth. How are we preparing and mentoring the next generation that's going to come behind us? What's the best way to remain productive and providing for and considering our, our failing health and even death? Oh yeah, there was that will I always meant to get around to making out. And should I get a lawyer for that? Uh, how do I direct my financial giving and estate planning? How can I downsize all of our stuff and our memories? Do you get overwhelmed? Does that list kind of overwhelm you with all the decisions that are out there? And I only hit just the surface level of some of the major ones, but every day we're faced with even minor plans, minor decisions that can really overwhelm us. And maybe that's really fits into your personality, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're like, I don't like to plan. I'm way more laid back than that. Que sera, sera, what, what will be, will be. And then at some point, you've procrastinated long enough by not planning that the tyranny of the urgent catches up to you, and you're like, oh, now i got to make a decision. Make it quick. And it doesn't turn out well for you. Broadly speaking, I think there's maybe two traps that we could fall into. See which where you think you are. And maybe you swing back and forth depending on what area of decision it is. But one is micromanaging. One is I got to plan out to the nth degree every single little thing and then go for it. And we end up at some point trying to do God's job for him. And then on the other side, there are those of us who, you know, we're just kind of kicking back. We're just trusting the Lord. I'm just letting go and letting God and you procrastinate so long that, again, you may be making unwise decisions or just simply negligent in the duties that God has given to you. So today I want to look at what the Bible says about wise planning. And from Proverbs 16, we see that wise planning is our responsibility. And then we also see that providence is God in his sovereignty and his sovereign will working its way out day by day. And then we'll consider how should we plan in light of God's providence. So first, wise planning is our, pro our responsibility. And right out of the gate, verse 1, we see the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You're going to see this going back and forth where man's part and God's part. And at first, man, the plans of a man's heart belong to a man. In a sense, the, the, the words belong to indicate ownership indicate responsibility. The responsibility to plan is part of the design of God for human flourishing. 
Uh, God has not made us like some other creatures that just react to stimuli in their environment and single-celled organisms that only move to heat or light or food. We're not that simple in the way that God's made us. He's made us with moral agency. We have freedom to act according to our nature and to plan in ways that are wise. It belongs to us to plan. Secondly, in verse 2, we see that all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. So the idea here is that there are motives and there are desires and there are attitudes that are connected to these decisions and plans, that not every plan is a good plan or a morally pure plan, a right plan. And so we're to plan with an eye to what is good, what is moral, what are God's commands. And that kind of encapsulates or borders where we definitely have to stay within God's revealed will, what he tells us, what he has given us in his word. This is true. This is how you are to live. This is what I command. This is what I forbid. The remainder of verse 2 then says that we're not really able to be the sole determiner of what is pure. The Lord is the one who weighs the Spirit. And so it's the realization that we need an objective truth outside of ourselves to help us to determine whether what our plans are are truly pure, are truly wise. And so God is the ultimate judge. He's the one that weighs both our decisions and our motivations for making those decisions. So it kind of puts on another level, not just the ideas and actions you're thinking of, but your motivations and desires that go behind that. All of that is in God's purview to to weigh our spirits. Verse 3 then says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You know, part of planning is ultimately committed to the Lord. And this idea is to roll over, even in that word commit, is to roll onto the Lord. And we ask his blessing, and we ultimately ask that if it's his will, it would come to fruition. You know, our catechism asks, you know, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering of, of our desires unto God for things that are agreeable to his will. It really fits in with what planning is. The, the end of our human planning is to then commit it to the Lord and say, not my will, but your will be done. What you ordain is right. Make me content in what you bring. This is my desire, God. If it's your will, I would love to see that. So at this stage, we can often struggle. I don't know about you, but I'm probably more on the spectrum of the planet to the nth degree and make sure I got everything figured out. I get to be overly responsible sometimes. It stresses me out. That stress is usually an indicator that I'm trying to do God's job for him that I'm trying to do more than I ought to do, and I'm failing to commit that to the Lord and just give it over to Him. Even this week, I uh, had my phone next to my, on my uh, nightstand, and it started buzzing, and I'm thinking, oh no, it's Mrs. Felice, or something's gone really bad. I don't usually get calls in the night. Well, it was uh, the alarm central at the at the church and school saying they lost connection with uh, the fire alarm system. The internet was out, basically. 
I said, you're not going to roll the fire trucks, right? No, no, we're not doing that. It's just 2.30 in the morning. Tell me that there's no internet. <laughs> I have my eyes open, and I can't fall back to sleep. I think, Lord, all right, you want me to be praying about something, and there's plenty of things to be praying about. There's some counseling situations, church situations, school situations that I've just been thinking through, planning for, trying to plan wisely, trying to use God's word to direct those plans. And so I thought about, okay, maybe I should write an email in this situation, and maybe we need to call a meeting for these people to get together, or maybe we should add these people. And I'm making plans in my trying to fall asleep prayer. I say it's a prayer, but I'm, I'm communing and communicating with God. Here's my plan. But then I say, this is enough, Nathan. Commit that to the Lord. And I say, Lord, I commit this to you. And I wait for sleep to come. But then maybe an email needs to go to this. I just start going back to the replanning stage. Why is it that we can't just commit to the Lord and then walk away and just let it be? Why do I have to overthink it and overplan it? That's where the challenge of wise planning comes into the providence of God, his sovereign plan. Because verse 4, verse 5 say, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. You notice how I said everything? That should be underlined, bold, italics. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. So the sovereignty of God extends to everything, according to verse 4. And so many other scriptures that I could point you to, we don't have time to look at. It's seen again and again and again, almost on every single page of the Bible, God's in control. He's the king. He's the sovereign over all that he has made. His plan then is played out in time and space in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment control over us and the world around us. That's called God's providence. In fact, in the shorter catechism, question number 11, we're asked, what is God's providence? And God's providence God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all his actions. I remember as a little child memorizing that catechism and uh, the three points, his most wise and powerful and what was the other one? Holy. His holy, wise, and powerful planning, preserving, and governing all his creatures and all their actions. There's nothing that falls outside of God's sovereign control. He didn't just create the world, wind it up, and let it go. He's intimately involved in our everyday, ongoing lives. So God is present. God is here. We're living all of life, quorum Deo, before the face of God. And so he's not neglecting you. He's not turning a blind eye. He is very present in all things. All creatures and all their actions, verse 4 says, he's made everything for its purpose. And if we didn't believe that enough, the second half of verse 4 says, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Now, why is that so unbelievable? Well, if God's in control and he is ruling over everything, but then you've got the wicked over here. What are the wicked saying? You're not my king. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And they go about doing that. 
And God says, even all of the actions and thoughts and deeds of those wicked people who think they're doing exactly the opposite of what God would want them to do, end up doing exactly as God plans. God just reminds us of this, and I think the ultimate description of that happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, when Peter is preaching the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost, and he says that this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men, wicked men, even the wicked and their actions are used by God in his overall plan to accomplish what he designs, his sovereign purpose. I mean, that truth bomb, when it, when it hit my head, just rearranged my, my world. I don't claim to, how does it all connect together? But I can see the borders of this that these lawless men are completely responsible for God, for their wickedness. But God, in his definite purpose and plan, can even use that. My reading in Scripture this month has been going through the book of Genesis and seeing the life of Joseph. I mean, if you ever question God's sovereignty over every area of our lives, go back to Joseph's life and see at the end of his life when his brothers come in before him, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, for the saving of many people. Wow. God uses even the wicked to accomplish his goals. Even the wicked for the day of trouble, they will be punished. They will receive their just desserts. I threw in Proverbs 16.33 for the, maybe the icing on the cake is the lot is cast into the lap and its every decision is from the Lord. Even random chance events are perfectly ordered and planned by God. So the lot was a way in which you would, uh, almost like rolling dice or flipping a coin. Every coin flip, every roll of dice, God knows and has planned for what the outcome will be. Now, every time I play Yahtzee, I pray, Lord, give me Yahtzee, right? And, and every result is in God's hands, but I don't have any control over that. All right, how should we plan then in light of God's providence? Verse 6, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. So these verses are tucked in here, but they're very, really, they're really very significant for our understanding of God's judgment of our planning and how it relates to our right standing before God. And it's pretty amazing to see the correlation of this iniquity that's atoned for is in the context of steadfast love and faithfulness. So whenever you see steadfast love in the Old Testament, that's talking about God's hesed or his covenant love. It's a love of relationship. And that relationship is established by God, by his grace. And by his steadfast love and then faithfulness is his continuing love for us even though we don't deserve it. and We do everything to undeserve it in our wickedness. We see here 
that it points to atoning for sin or iniquity. I think of Day of Atonement that was celebrated in the Old Testament where lamb's blood would be shed and sprinkled and that the priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies and to plead the blood on behalf of the people. And so this, this ritual in the Old Testament pointed forward to Messiah, to Jesus, who is the perfect Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb. And it's by His blood that our sins are atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So remember this theme, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? And you remember as I was introducing the, the scriptures that throughout the book of Proverbs, we're seeing again and again, the beginning of the Lord is the fear of wisdom. Well, when your sin and your iniquity is atoned for by his steadfast love and faithfulness, that fear of God's judgment, my planning, oh, I gotta, I'm, I'm concerned I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing, that planning starts to be shaped by He's forgiven my sins. He sent a substitute. He sent Messiah Jesus to pay for those sins. I have been bought with a price. I'm not my own. And the way that Paul kind of mirrors this principle, I think, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That puts our planning directly within the atonement and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so you can plan in light of Christ. His love then compels you. Don't live for yourself. Your decision, your plans can't end with you begin with you and end with you. We have to factor in Christ and his sacrifice, that we are new creatures, that we've been born again. So it's amazing to see how the believing, how the planning of a, of a believer in Christ is shaped differently because Christ has died and raised again for us. His faithfulness, his steadfast love causes us to want to please him and to live our lives for him. So that doesn't mean that everything that comes out then will be rainbows and unicorns. It's not going to be all according to what we think is wonderful and, and excellent and great. It's going to be hard stuff. See again the life of Joseph, all right? But we can have the confidence and assurance that the planning and the purposes and the providence is from the heart of one who loves us from the heart of one who gave his son to die for us. It's the heart of God through Christ for us. This section of Proverbs then is then concluded in verse 11. It, it wraps back around, it repeats the first verse of uh, chapter 16. But now we read that statement in light of everything that we've just worked through. And here it says, the heart of a man plan, plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. I know planning can take on kind of this cold and sterile um, formulation of a strategy and logistics. When I first uh, graduated seminary, I went to a Franklin Covey planning program where you 
get your life purpose and goals and you put it on this compass and you make prioritized daily tasks based on what your goals and your mission and and it seemed like I was helpful for me just to kind of make sense of a purpose in what I was doing, but I could easily get wrapped up with all the procedures and all the, the, the ways of going about doing this so I could plan as perfectly as possible. And that's probably my problem of wanting to plan everything out to the nth degree. That just feeds that. What I want you to take away from this sermon is not all the steps for how we can wisely plan, but I think taking a step back and seeing the overall part that you plan, your planning in a stewardship way, in a wise way, is then superintended by this God who's in control of it all. And so that causes you not to just kick back and say, whatever happens, happens, but to say, I got to be a good steward of the time, the resources, the energy that he's given me. And so I'm going to use them for his glory. But after I make these plans, I'm not going to be so committed to making them happen that I can't just depend on God for the answer of the tongue. The determination I have to be content is from God. Why can I do that? Because this God who is the king is my shepherd. He's my good shepherd. You know, the ladies uh, in Overland Park are going through Psalm 23 this fall, and I know that because my wife keeps telling me about it, excited as, uh, as she is about um, leading that class. And so as we think about and meditate on who this God of providence is and how he describes himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10 and here in Psalm 23, I want you to just listen to the good shepherd's providence in your life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and shepherd of our hearts, we ask for courage and strength to plan wisely over the course of the next days, weeks, months, years. We really do want to be faithful stewards of all the time, resources, gifts, and energy that you give us. We're compelled to do this, Lord, because we truly are not our own. We have been bought with a price. You lead us, Lord. What a blessed thought. You lead us. What a comforting thought. You, you lead us, whatever we do, wherever we go. Lord, it's your hand that leads us. Amen.